Hello and welcome to the next thrilling installment, the penultimate installment of our reading and recapping of Dark Force Rising, the second volume in the Thrawn trilogy here on Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars literature podcast. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Doughty, the esteemed Dr. Daniel Doughty, and with me as always is my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? I think uh, between seasons of the podcast, I'm going to get a doctorate just to just to shove it in your face. <laughs> go, go to one of those places, the the, the four week doctorate. I'm I, gonna I, I like, or I'm going to become one of those first. I'm going to get like ordained to like marry people or something like that. <laughs> there you go. It'll be like Doctor Daniel Dottie and Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. And Reverend, <laughs> and Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. No, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I, I hope you pursue that. I'm excited for this new chapter in your spiritual journey. Um, and speaking I'm, of I'm new chapters... I'm excited for this new chapter of the book. Yes. <laughs> See, that, that's an excellent segue. We are, uh, we are on the same wavelength. Uh, yes, so we are... Yeah, because we ended up... Let's see, the last chapter was just chock full of Nogri stuff. Although it does seem to be the end of Nogri stuff, at least for now. They kind of put a pin in all that. Um, but well, I think on... the Nogri are being set up for the big battle, at, presumably at the end of the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which we don't get to in these chapters. But if there's one thing we learned is that Zahn keeps his powder dry until the very last minute. Uh, and then Betsy makes him put a space battle in. <laughs> I uh, imagine course... that the last chapter or the last two chapters of the book are going to be like that meme about game master anthony like his birthday and like oh you know yeah. bring it in everyone and then every every race of uh, monster people from star wars is going to come in for the big battle over the dark force yes we can we can only hope but let's oh well we're, we're getting there though we're, we're setting that up in this section of chapters uh because of course we uh we last left han and lando they were hot on their way to pentalomin to find this uh, degenerate gambler who keeps selling dreadnoughts to Bell Iblis to uh, fund his uh, high-rolling lifestyle. Um, they're going to find him on the casino submarine Coral Vanda. And uh, I gotta say, opens... I gotta say, chapter twenty-five opens with a bang because it's a pretty hilarious, like misdirect because it, it it says uh, the Coral Vanda built itself as the most impressive casino in the galaxy. Dot dot dot. As he looked around the huge and ornate Trollo room, Han could understand why he'd never heard of anyone challenging that claim. So it just made me laugh. It's like, <laughs> it builds itself as the most impressive casino in the galaxy, and there's nothing to dispute that claim. <laughs> and it is. Well, it's a bit like his, uh, his uh, usually the maps don't look anything like the planet, but this time it did. <laughs> it reminds me of the... the Simpsons joke where they go to the Thomas Edison Museum and it's like, you know, normally we don't we don't go uh, go into this uh, rope behind room and uh, this will be no exception. <laughs> yes, um, I, I thought the chapter was a bit well. This this introduction of the Coral Vanda they've been they've been kind of building it up. They Timothy's on has been building it up. Well, Timothy's on in cooperation with Betsy Miller, his editor. Uh, but I thought the description was really underwhelming. Like, I feel like this should have been some of the most striking visual imagery of the novel. We're talking about a, a freaking underwater casino submarine on an I don't know. He, do, he, does, uh, he does come up with a number of gibberish games. Because you've got Sabic. You've got mm -hmm. uh, Lugjack. You've got Trigald. Halo Chess. And even a few of the traditional horseshoe-shaped... Warp tops favored by hardcore Crinbid fanatics. <laughs> as as That's... one has to be a fan of gibberish words uh, to be a fan of Star Wars, and we have been established as sort of being those. You have to appreciate the effort he put into that paragraph. Yes, yes, um, and and I appreciated this. Like uh, th this, this should have been, you know, a demonstration of the the the, the natural splendor. Of Pentalamin. Um, the next paragraph is, and when you got tired of looking at your cards or into your glass, there was the view through the full wall transparent outer hull. 
rippling blue-green water, hundreds of brilliantly colored fish and small sea mammals, and around all of it the intricate winding loops and fans of the famous Pentalamin coral reefs. And that's literally all we get. <clears throat> like, I... I'm... I love that the I love that the first page of the chapter is just like the the like sort of uh like when you go to a hotel and like the hotel TV is set on the channel that's advertising the hotel. It's just like <laughs> yes, three it's... paragraphs of that. Yes, <clears throat> it was pretty. Uh, it was a little lame. Um, I, I was underwhelmed, but then uh, of course we find out that hey, you know, the the, the ship has seven rooms like that. So, Seven wow, rooms maybe, just maybe like I the am impressed. Room. <laughs> right, wow, that is great. Um, Mahan and Lando were having drinks at the bar, keeping an eye out for uh, uh, you know someone who looks like he has dreadnoughts to sell for gambling money. Uh, Lando is getting tired of this and proposes that they make themselves some bait to get set up at a sabak table and start losing large amounts of money to see if this guy wants to get in on some of the easy pickings off a couple of suckers. Uh, I, I have a question for you because there was a there was a something that I couldn't make heads or tails of because Lando mm-hmm. has a line where uh, I think he skipped this trip uh, probably ran out of money. Remember what Senna said? The guy spends it like poisoned water. What the heck yeah. does that mean? I guess that you're trying to get rid of it. Like if you're you're spending I, money like you're trying to get rid of it, maybe. What situation are you trying to get rid of poisoned water? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's Star Wars. I, <laughs> it's it probably just a... seemed like a weird turn of phrase. It's like a, it's like a, a, a metaphor that that humans have never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a dark Jedi rolls into town, or a, a Gleep Glorp, you know, pisses in the river, and you got to get rid of poisoned water. It happens in Star Wars. Um. They have a they have a little bit of a a back and forth about uh, this plan to set themselves up as a couple of suckers, see if they can they can reel them in. And uh, you know, Han mentions, "Hey, you think your professional gamblers probably can take that kind of beating?" And Lando looked him straight in the eye. If it'll get me out of here and back to my mining operation, my pride can take anything. <laughs> and, and Han grimaced I... because he says he sometimes forgot that he kind of dragged Lando into all this. <laughs> <laughs> that that was kind of like a self-reflective lines, like, oh yeah, Zahn reminding himself that Lando used to do a mining operation. Like last book. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh yeah, that's what he was doing before he was, he was uh, shunted into the Han Solo plot line. <laughs> right, where he had to be Han Solo's psychic because Chewie was off doing bullshit with the Nogri. Yeah, Chewie was off being Leia's sidekick because... You know that's what happens when you get married. You get you inherit your husband's sidekick. That's exactly how it works. Yeah, I should know. I've been married for a long time now, and um, you have your own you have your own uh, a giant bear monster that your wife gets to use. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly how it works. But their 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 planning is interrupted. When uh, they they spot a little tray with a still smoldering cigar sitting in it, a cigar that smells awfully familiar. Uh oh, Lando said, and then Han says, "I don't believe it." And I just want to point out that that is the second time in as many episodes that a character has said, "I don't believe it." Uh, just throwing that out there, Timothy, because that's what that's what I, I would I would have preferred Luke the line. Uh, I would have preferred the line. I smell trouble. See, that would have been good. That would have been good. Again, you know, Zahn needs to talk to us about this stuff. But yes, guess who it is? It's Niles Farrier. This time, he is seen across the room, making a mock salute, and then heading out the exit. Han intuits that uh, he wants them to follow him, so uh, of course they do follow him, confident in their ability to handle whatever obvious trap they are walking into. Uh, but just then, several distant booms rattle the coral. They rattle through the coral vanda. Han and Lando know the sound of turbo laser bolts explosively evaporating seawater and put together that Farrier has made a dirty deal and led the Empire right to them. Finding the gambling dreadnought dealer just became a race against time. As they resolve to pick up the pace, another turbo laser hits close enough to the Coral Vanda to set it lurching. As Han is reaching to brace himself in the pitching submarine, he's grabbed by furry arms. It's the damn Shadow Monster! And it yeah, what the hell is the shadow monster supposed to be anyway? Because it's it's like a furry shadows, thing. but it's also yeah. furry. It's like what the hell? 
my my best guess here is that it's one of those um so you know like uh, the the extremely black blacks you know like like fulogen or vanta black where yeah. if you paint something in it it just looks like a silhouette it just doesn't have any relief to it i'm guessing that that's the kind of effect this critter's fur has or something I kind of um, just imagined like a, a symbiote from uh, the Spider-Man comics, you know, just like black with like white eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, I, I thought this did make for a, for a, an excellent uh, sentence here. Uh, Han jumped back out of the way. Uh, well, they got they got into a storage room, and then they're uh, they're having like a, uh, a a little back and forth with Farrier. You remember my wraith, of course. Farrier said blandly, gesturing at the shadow. He's the one who sneaked up onto the Lady Lux ramp to plan our backup homing beacon, the one inside the ship. So that's how he got around Lando, being able to analyze the aerodynamics of his spacecraft. Um, and a little bit later, Han jumped back out of the way and took a closer look at the shadow. This time he was able to pick out the eyes and the glint of white fangs. He'd always thought wraiths were just space legend. <laughs> so we have it there. Space legend. That's an official Star Wars term. That absolutely sounds like something you or I would make up to make fun of this. But here we have it in black and white. Um, but Farrier is well, happy I mean, there's, to let... There's a difference between like regular legends and like legends of shit that's in space. All right, I mean, uh, fair enough. Well, I would think everything is a space legend if you're in Star Wars and everyone, like, can drive a spaceship. Well, you're I in mean, space there's, all the a, time. there's, like, a, a legend that's, like, you know, just from uh, Corellian society, and then there's the legends, like, yeah, you, you travel in space long enough, you'll probably find a bunch of furry shadow men. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, well, that's fair. All right, I, I rescind my remarks. Uh, yeah, fairier... be fair to Timothy Zahn, for Christ's sake. <laughs> God, this, this man who's poured his heart and soul into this book and 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 just started writing and never looked back. Literally, never looked back at anything he wrote. <laughs> um, that would so, explain a lot. I, I I'm starting to to believe it. Uh, Farrier is uh, happy to let Lando go as he expects him to get blasted into space ash by stormtroopers trying valiantly to protect poor Captain Hoffner. Uh, Farrier just can't stop dropping sensitive names there. Uh, Farrier evidently already has him locked away in his suite. So uh, Niles then walks out, leaving Han under the guard of the Wraith. He's going to make the handoff to the Imperials. Uh, from there, we actually break to the Chimera, where uh, Peleon is marveling at the stubbornness of the Coral Vanda's captain for not surfacing and surrendering. Thrawn notes that it is a ship full of gamblers, hoping for one last gamble, going into some sort of huge coral cavern to escape the Chimera's bombardment. Uh, Thrawn has a little moment where he laments having to destroy such beautiful art as the Reef. Uh, but he gives the order anyway, and they blast it. Yeah, I, I want to just to stop a second to, to, to dissect that uh, that yeah. bit. And He says, A pity, though, to have damaged any of these reefs. They're genuine works of art. Unique, perhaps, in that they were created by living yet non-sentient beings. It's like... Yes. Well, <laughs> what do you think reefs are made of? <laughs> right, that's like... You think some guy is making reefs? No, it's like fucking little fishmen. <laughs> it's not even fishmen. It's it's little polyps. It's a reef. Uh, like what yeah, the yeah, yeah, that's are haunted. Yeah, who knows? He, he, and then they, they can't be genuine works of I'm art. I'm just imagining like made. like a Thrawn just being dazzled by like Charlotte's Web. It's like holy fuck! It says some pig. I was I was imagining him being really astounded by uh, termite mounds, like amazing or honeycombs. Yeah, but they are non sentient beings. Well, you know what? It's just Thrawn having an appreciation for the natural world. I can't I can't I can't fault anyone too much for that. Yeah, but <clears throat> it really, it's like two seconds before he's like, "Yeah, I'll just destroy this shit." Yeah, yeah. But back on the Coral Vanda, uh, <clears throat> it is set to lurching from this latest round of turbo laser fire, and that gives Han the opportunity to hurl a crate of liquor bottles at the Wraith, who gets uh, soaked up with Menkuro uh, whiskey. And having having a bit of mercy, not wanting to just shoot the thing dead, Han instead shoots his blaster at the puddle of whiskey to ignite it and set the alien on fire. Which, which then leads to, <clears throat> I think, one of the more insane sentences I've yet encountered in these works. The Wraith's scream turned into a high-pitched wail, 
as it twisted away from the blaze, its head and shoulders sheathed in flame. More in anger than pain, though, Han knew. Alcohol fires weren't that hot. <laughs> like I would argue that's not true. I don't... <laughs> I mean, I don't... I understand that, like, it probably has a lower burning temperature than wood, I guess, but it's still burning. That's got... That's just such... I, I, I love get, the line after that. Given time, the rays would slap out the fire and then very likely break Han's neck. <laughs> yeah, I would... Classic, kind of... classic situation, Wraithal will slap out the fire then break the guy's neck. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off about that too, but, uh, but, but Han is saved by the bell when the fire trips the extinguishing system and the Wraith just gets blasted full in the face with foam. So uh, I, I will say in contrast to Zahn... Uh, being shitty at describing things, he is great at describing this, like, sort of kind of pratfall of the wraith getting doused in liquor and set on fire and then <laughs> hit by foam. And sprayed with extinguishing foam, yeah. Um. <laughs> it's just very slapstick. <laughs> it really is. But Han sees his chance and he bolts out the door into the uh, now deserted corridor. Yeah, everyone is kind of filed through to get their way to the, uh, to the escape pods. Uh, but he's now going to go find Lando. Lando, meanwhile, is trying to get the uh, security guys to help him in finding the gambling dreadnought dealer with the only description, because they don't have a name, he just has a description, while they're attempting to set up a defensive perimeter to hold off the incoming Imperial boarding party. Uh, They are understandably too busy for this. But Lando realizes that if Farrier has actually shown his face, then he must think he's already won, which means he must already have the contact in uh, in his control. So as Lando rushes to try to find a computer terminal to get a passenger list, he runs into and is attacked by a group of uh, unknown assailants. I'm assuming they're part of Farrier's crew, but the the text is unclear. Um, After a brief firefight, they are actually dispatched by Han Solo, who is coming from the other direction as the scoundrels uh, and the scoundrels are reunited. Uh, The sounds of the Imperial boarding party reach them and they realize the whole jig is up. Han insists they make a break for an escape pod. And then we kind of cut to them bobbing on the surface in this escape pod as they watch as the Imperial shuttles depart. Uh, Doubtless with Captain Hoffner in tow, ready to face the old interrogation droid. Han is in a sour cast, while Lando, he he tries to play Angel's advocate. He keeps looking at the bright side of their situation. Um, And that is that, hey, you know what? Uh, Even if the Empire does get to the Dark Force first... It's going to be a while before they can recruit enough people to crew and deploy those ships, you know? So, uh, we still got some time. Well, Han knows, no, no, no. They just, they have to stop them from fighting the fleet, no matter what. And, uh, that brings us to chapter 26, which, I just, um, I just can't stop thinking about that Wraith and, like, imagine that Wraith, <laughs> like, like, reuniting with Niles, and, which makes another question, like, does Niles own the Wraith? Is are they like partners? Is like does well does, clearly is the clearly Wraith because he's big and sen- furry. How sentient is the Wraith? Is like the Wraith supposed to be like evil Chewbacca or something? I was gonna say I think it's evil Chewbacca. I, I think there's somehow a anyway. Kind of I'm probable... just imagining the scene of like the Wraith having to try to explain to Niles what happened. It's like it's a classic case again. Uh, Doused in liquor, set on fire, <laughs> sprayed in the face with extinguishing foam. Just, just falling all over the place. Just pratfall after pratfall. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was really uh, what I took from the chapter. I was just feeling really sorry for the wraith. <laughs> yeah, doesn't even get a name like you know. Yeah, it's just the wraith. Very yeah. disrespectful. Speaking of disrespectful. Uh, it's chapter 26 and it's the fucking high council, baby. It's a council arguing chapter, but this is a good one because Borsk Falia is just feeling his oats. What a piece of shit this guy is. Want to know my first note for chapter 26 verbatim? It's Falia is fucking annoying. (laughs) Yes. The good news is he's going to, he's going to get his, uh, in this section. Um, but not before he has a bunch of annoying shit to do. Uh, Mon Mothma and Borsk Falia are debriefing Luke, Leia, Han, Lando, and Talon Card all about the Katana fleet. And uh, I was kind of struck for a minute here because, like, Han and Lando are there. But, like, how far away is Pentolomon? 
And they had to get picked up by, like, the rescue crew and everything. Like, I'm, but they made I'm it... actually glad that Zahn didn't spend, like, three goddamn chapters, like, getting Han <laughs> Solo and, and Lando to this meeting. I'm, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily want to know how they got there. I just think it's, it's odd that they managed to get there at the same time as Luke and, and Talon. Card. I think it's another case of Zahn looking and thinking, shit, I've only got like 60 pages left. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get the, get a move on. Um, Phalia is of course being obstructive and insists that Card is lying in order to distract the New Republic and get it to split its forces. We have this situation where Mon Mothma is like, oh, the Katana fleet, it's incredible after all these years. And the car is trying to give them 200 starships, and Borsk Failure is like, fuck you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Here, remember when I, uh, when, I, when I taunted you with uh, my, my 2016 joke? For yes, the podcast? yes, I you're going to hate me so much for this, but my note says, Phalia is basically going, for every blue-collar calamari we lose in Western space, we will pick up two modern Bothans in the suburbs in Coruscant. <laughs> yeah, basically. He's basically trying to shore up his power with, like, Bothans and shit. Right, right. Like, just... Uh... Make, making making a very bold but uh, we shall we shall see kind of claim to the um, to the listener. I've got to reiterate: he is failure is really fucking annoying in this chapter. Zahn really went all out in making him just as obnoxious as possible. I, I think in kind of his last moments before his comeuppance, but he really. I, I think like every other character in this book, from like C three PO to the Wraith has like some redeeming characteristic, except for failure. He has nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he is he's purely well. You know, we remember that note from um, Heir to the Empire where Zahn was like, "Oh, I just hate writing characters like this. I hate it. Oh, they're so grody." So you know, he's he just getting it hates all out there. Politics, I guess. It's like freaking politicians, man. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Goddamn Bothans always shaking hands and kissing babies and shit. Makes me sick. Uh, the lunchbox guys are all saying, no, this is this is real, and the Empire is going after it right now, but Phalia keeps finding new ways of saying, nuh uh. He's he's kind of stinging from the fact that it turns out that Grand Admiral Thrawn is real and also a Grand Admiral. Two of the things that Phalia was like, no fucking way. So I also can't he, really I can't really tell if Phalia is being Deliberately blinkered in his thinking, or he's just a dumbass. Uh, well, well, once again, Zahn is so subtle a writer that <laughs> he's he's left it he's left it up for the reader to discern this between these two options. Um, uh, eventually, uh, Leia proposes sending a small force, an escort frigate, and a couple of X-wing squadrons to check out the coordinates, and then if the stuff is actually there, they can send in the main expedition if it turns out to be true. Uh, Failure relents and says that he can send that tomorrow morning. Uh, Card says he'll wait until then to give up the coordinates, uh, which uh, sets Failure to having to flattening his fur, and. Uh, Ronnie, I'm going to ask you a question. How how many times do you think Phalia's fur flattens in these chapters we read? Six times. Okay, all right. Let's see. Um, hey, uh, n- not bad. Uh, it looks like it's going to be five times. <laughs> Damn, I went over. You went well. You went one over, so I'm afraid you, you're not going to uh, you're not going to get the all expense paid trip to uh, to Jamaica. But yeah, five times we talk about fur flattening. It's that's uh, pretty wild. Um, but Mon Mothma adjourns the meeting, and then uh, Card gives Leia a quick look, like he needs to talk further. Uh, Han says he'll catch up. He needs to talk to Failure real quick. Uh, this mostly amounts, and this was a weird scene. Like this mostly amounts to Han needling failure about how he stuck his neck out all he stuck his neck all the way out with this first admiral akbar news but uh, no one really made the leap with him kind of putting him in an awkward position and han susses out that bralia's mission to new cove must have been to try to negotiate a high prestige deal to bring bell iblis back into the republic fold and thus shore up failure's position with the council uh, so borsk is digging in his heels and betting everything on the katana fleet either not being real or just 
being intended to be used as leverage to bring about his downfall. So he's not going to let Han get away with any of it. Stick to smuggling, he tells him. And it's a weird scene because I'm not sure what Han intended to do by talking to Phalia. Because he just, like... They, he, he like Han just insults him and says like yeah you're fucked up and then Phalia's like fuck you buddy so I don't know I don't know what was supposed to happen here uh, Phalia has like a really shitty line to Han around here where he says I thought your female was the diplomat of the family <laughs> yeah. and like I don't know how Bothans like consider family units but something like just there's something gross about referring to Leia as your female. Yeah, yeah. Like well, maybe, if, perhaps... if I said that if I said that about your wife, you would imagine that I'm literally Ian Miles Chong. <laughs> it would it would definitely color all of my perceptions of you, to be sure. Now this may be, you know, I, I'm wondering if this is like an insight into Bothan social dynamics, or if this is a case where like Failure well, we don't know a... anything about Bothans other than a bunch of them died to get the second Death Star information and also they're shitty opportunists. We they're don't the know anything about people. their culture or even what planet they're from. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's what makes me think, like, I think this is another matter of, like, uh, this was introduced to make failure just shittier, just make him a shittier guy. And then, like, later, like, Zahn's going to be like, oh, yeah, every uh, Bothan is like that. <laughs> because that's been the rule so far, is that you have Phalia and you just give him character traits that make him annoying and awful, and then say that all Bothans are like that. <laughs> that that little exchange reaches its end. Uh, and we cut now to Mara. Mara Jade, standing at the window of her room here at the Imperial Palace in Coruscant. And kind of feeling the psychic weight of being back in the Imperial Palace. After all these years, back where she was when her world fell apart on news of the Emperor's demise. But she still has a searing vision of the Emperor's wrinkled face hissing, You will kill Luke Skywalker. Now it's too late for us to do this now, but I think for the third book, we do need to like, over the course of it, like, come up with a a, a drinking game. Mm-hmm. And definitely one of the one of the cues will be the in italics, you will kill Luke Skywalker in all caps. Because yes, this yes. happens at least like eight times in this book. <laughs> it's and sure it's always the same thing. And it's like, like, come up with something new, Emperor Apparition guy. Come on. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess it's supposed to be like the the last searing thing that he, he's rather... Oh, it only happens three times in this book. I just did the search. But it just Still, reminds it, me of the, the Shining parody on The Simpsons where Moe just keeps on telling Homer to kill his family. Yeah. Yeah, there's really not much more to it than that. What I thought was funny is that uh, she has, like, the vision, you know, she sees the Emperor's wrinkled face, you will kill Luke Skywalker. I'm trying, she whispered <laughs> to the words echoing through her mind. <laughs> I would have loved the Emperor to just respond in all caps and italics, well, you're not trying very hard. <laughs> see that's what the, that's what the, this dynamic needs we don't we don't need the emperor just repeating you will kill like luke skywalker we need him like to to like say new stuff and respond to her we got we gotta have a little back and forth you know yeah exactly i mean it's not, if, it's not dynamic if only one kenobi and yoda can appear in in like astral post-death form why can't the emperor that's another really good point. Well, he wasn't Mara Jade wasn't nearby so that he could psychically anchor himself to her. So oh, uh, well, he could come. <laughs> Zon could come up with some nonsense. Zon could easily work around that. Yeah. Uh, but as she's sort of having her little crisis, uh, Card comes into the room, uh, or rather, he, he comes into the into the next room. Uh, so she heads through the door, connecting the rooms to to get the skinny. And Card fills her in on Phalia sandbagging the Republic's recovery of the fleet. He's a little astonished at this. And so he's like, you know what? Well, we can't just let time go to waste. So he sends her on a mission to fly out to the smuggler's hideout in the Trogan system to gather up anything that can fly and uh, get to the co- the Katana coordinates. Except for Ghent. He, he wants Ghent to come back here to Coruscant and use his slicing skills. Remember, Ghent is a very skilled slicer. To sniff out the real story. Also, uh, also, Talon gives her a data card, and guess how uh, 
Guess how Mara takes the card. Oh, how's that? Gingerly. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. That's how. See, you're inured the... to to it. I'm just in your as far as the you're identifying radiation. with your captor. It's <laughs> it's just part of it's just part of the overall Zonian uh, uh, miasma that settles over me when I when I read. Uh, <laughs> also, is gonna card come. has like something and says something insane. Like, I want to see what a really expert slicer can do with that suspicious lump in Akbar's bank account. Like, it's yeah, like a tumor or something. But uh, you know, card card isn't the most uh, you know, he doesn't exactly have a way with words. Um, he has a way with secrets. Um, the card then uh, takes Mara to ask Leia for the use of a small ship for this little uh, mission, and also propose that they get a head start on Thalia's official expedition. So, like, Leia, you, you get a tech team together, get an X-Wing unit that doesn't mind getting on the wrong side of the chain of command, and set out immediately. Luke knows just the guy for the job. Wedge freaking Antilles! That's right, Luke wakes Wedge with, his, with a calm call, and Wedge, in typical Milhousian fashion, readily agrees without knowing anything about the details of what they're doing. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, okay, boss. Um, so they get all that put together. Uh, Luke, Han, and Lando are all on the, the trip out to the... Uh, just to, just to, to go Katana back a sec, I, I want to luxuriate yeah. over the classic Wedge scene. Cause it's, oh, please. Again, it's classic Wedge, because it's the... The typical situation where, like, he's just getting a phone call and he's, he's like, passed out on his bunk. And, <laughs> like, come on, give me a break, huh? He pleaded. I'm still running on Ando time. Oh, yeah. Which, for a second, I misread that as Andor, and I thought that, like, uh, Zahn was incepting us by, like, predicting stuff from the Disney <laughs> movies. But, yeah. no, it's Ando time, not it's Andor Ando. time. Which, yeah, which I don't know that we know why Wedge would have been on Ando either, but who knows. Uh, but by I, the also, morning, I also appreciate the level of trust, the, the implicit friendship between Luke and Wedge that Luke can just say, I need you on docking pad 15 and a bunch of your guys in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll be like, sure, I got nothing better to do. I'm Wedge Antilles. Yep, I exist to 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 do this. He even has a uh, paragraph about that, like about feeling a stirring of old excitement. He'd seen a lot of action in the decade he'd been with the Rebellion in the New Republic. A lot of flying, a lot of fighting, but somehow the missions he remembered as being the most interesting always seemed to be ones where Luke Skywalker was also involved. Gee, I wonder why that is. Uh, he wasn't sure why. <laughs> Maybe Jedi just had a knack for that. It's like, yep. Wedge's favorite adventures were also the ones that were depicted in three blockbuster films. And I think it's also just goes to show the the true Millhouse nature of Wedge. You know? He also bitches about politics on Coruscant and cleaning up after Imperial raids across the New Republic. So it's like it's like a non sentient being that 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 only wakes up when Luke Skywalker calls him. Yeah, yeah. Very uh very NPC of him. Uh That's exactly what he is. He's an NPC. <laughs> he, he even he pulls only, a fresh tunic out of his wardrobe. He only exists to in, to be interacted with by the main character. And then when he does, it's the best part of his life. Um We need to find but, out if there's like a wedge uh novel. Oh, well there's a whole series of uh, Rogue Squadron novels. We need to read Featuring those. Wedge. Oh, God. We need All to right. find out more about Wedge. No. Do we? I suppose we yes. do. Yes. All right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll do Wedgeter Dome <laughs> next year. A Wedge in the works. <laughs> Open face sand wedge. Between where, a wedge and a wedge hard place. <laughs> when you wedge upon a Star Wars. The Wedge Antilles podcast. Um... So anyway, by morning, Thalia knows about everything and is furious, accusing Leia of light treason. Uh, there's some back and forth among Card, Mon Mothma, and Thalia for a couple of pages that doesn't change anything, and Card eventually just shuts Thalia down by insisting that Katana Fleet belongs to him, 
until the Republic actually takes possession, so he's making the rules. Phalia's fur flattened again. But buddy, I bet no Bothan's fur has ever been flatter than, than right now. How much that flattening has been happening. The whole Phalia stuff gets really ponderous because he's like threatening to to arrest Han Solo and Luke Skywalker for like breaching security. It just reminds me of like those interminable threads on Twitter in like 2017 where it's like, oh man, the orange the orange monster like mishandled something, so he's gonna be. <laughs> He's going to be in cuffs, like, you know, by the end of the week. And it's like, no, he's not. We got the latest bombshell from Lev Parnas. He's been cited with Nelly Orr. Now, talk about some Star Wars names, Lev Parnas. That's an excellent Star Wars name. Way Uh, better than Chris Peterson. (laughs) Look, Chris Peterson was spelled weird, so it counts. And he's poor, dead. Poor Chris Peterson. So and he's whatever. dead. And and, and we, we we this is the memorial Chris Peterson uh, podcast. Um, but that brings us to chapter twenty-seven. As we are, hey, we're just going along in a clip, following this one plot line. It's refreshing. It's amazing. But after a five-day journey, yeah. We, what are the uh, Nogri up to? Shut up! <laughs> don't bring. Don't don't speak that into the world. <laughs> Stop it. So for chapter 27, after a, uh, a five-day journey, the small force of lunchbox guys and the tech team has arrived at the Katana coordinates. Uh, Han actually brings up... The, this I thought was an actual, like... Uh, character moment? See, a character moment, yes. Um, so it was there now as he studied Han's face. Luke could see the tension lines there. You all right? He asked quietly. Oh, sure. Fine. The lines tightened a little further. But just once, I'd like them to find someone else to go off on these old jaunts across the galaxy. You know, Leia and I didn't even get a day together. We didn't see each other for a whole month, and we didn't get a day. To quote Homer Simpson, Aw, he misses casual sex. (laughs) Yeah, but but Han, I think he has like real like... He's reckoning with this. Han, Han, This is actually a funny exchange. I'm going to read the whole thing. Luke sighed. I know, he said. Sometimes I feel like I've been running full speed since we blasted out of Tatooine with the droids and Ben Kenobi way back when. Han yeah, shook it, his remind, head. it reminds me of, you know, when that old man picked me up and, and took me to a bar. <laughs> and got me involved in, in a criminal terrorist cell. Uh, Han shook his head. I hadn't seen her for a month, he repeated. She looks twice as pregnant as she did when I when she left. I don't even know what happened to her and Chewie out there. All she had time to tell me was that those Nogri things are on our side now, whatever that means. Of the I can't get any things. Yeah. Uh, I can't get anything out of Chewie either. He says it's her story and that she should tell it herself. I'm about ready to strangle him. And I'm definitely with Han right now. Like, yes, like I too, you should be there with your pregnant wife. This is, she's in a, a vulnerable uh, On the other hand, if I'm, if I'm Chewbacca and Han Solo asked me about what happened on the Nogri planet, I'm definitely like, uh, let your fucking wife tell you. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to get into it. He should, he should be like, like, uh, oh, let me tell you what happened on the Nogri planet, Han. Fucking nothing. <laughs> it was boring as shit and I hated it. Um, uh, in any case, uh, after this actual character moment where we get a glimpse into Han actually regretting having to be, you know, the, the guy. Uh, but Luke points out that they're on the short list of people Leia can actually trust, what with the Delta Source being active. So it's a lot's going to fall on them. Uh, they drop out of hyperspace. the first time they bring up Delta ship. Source in like eight chapters. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, a, that's, that's something that comes and goes. They drop out of hyperspace in their transport ship, and it takes a moment to interpret the the dark shapes against the background of black space and stars. But there they are, the Katana Fleet Dreadnoughts, and we get a description in the in Ronnie in the last pages of the second book of the trilogy. Zon at last tells us what this type of starship looks like, which has been mentioned since the it was in the first few chapters of *Heir of the Empire*. Because they talked about like dreadnought, like how Lando's mining outfit was like a dreadnought on top of a bunch of uh, AT-ATs and shit. Um, but here we go. Here we go. Here's here's what these amazing ships look like. Roughly cylindrical in shape, with a half dozen weapons blisters arranged around its midsection, and a bow that he'd once heard described as a giant clam with an overbite. The ship looked almost quaintly archaic. 
And maybe, again, maybe this is too nitpicky of me, but you're actually describing an object that a character is looking at, and instead of describing it as they see it, you have, in your third-person narration, the person remembering what someone else described it as. (laughs) Like, Look, Luke is pretty dim. I guess, but, like, why give it that extra step away from the scenario just say that luke thought it looked like a giant clam with an overbite and there you have your stupid line that's a bad description but like it's at least more immediate to what's going on very strange choice someone smarter than luke told him it looked like a giant clam with an overbite (laughs) so he's just going with it (laughs) um so they're looking at all these ships luke's spidey sense tingles and he points out a specific one to approach he says let's go also think about it dude Luke grew up on a desert planet. When is he going to see clams? That's a really good point. He doesn't know what That's a clam really is. He doesn't know what a clam is. So what this guy said doesn't mean anything to him anyway. Um, yeah, I guess it's like a supposedly some sort of giant clam with an overbite. Whatever clams or overbites are. But again, like clams don't have an overbite because they don't like their mouth isn't. They don't have jaws. They're a bivalve. That's not their mouth. Uh, well, imagine the Pokemon Shelter with an overbite. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Okay, thank That's you. That's what I'm imagining when I'm when I'm thinking about the Dreadnought. I'm thinking of the Pokemon Shelter. Yeah, this is one I may have to actually like Google image search for what comic book artists have decided this looks like. Uh but anyway, um, Luke, Luke has a little force moment where a particular one of these seems like the one to go to. So they, they, they zoom on in and, and uh, fly up into his docking bay, and they disembark to check it out. It's a little musty smelling, but all in good condition. Those full rig computer systems were designed to last, Lando remarks. Um, I, Luke, I do love the completely pointless uh, moment of, there's the main docking bay, Han said, pointing to a dim rectangle of lights. We'll take the ship inside. Luke looked at the rectangle doubtfully. If it's big enough, his fears proved ga- groundless. <laughs> Again. Like, yeah, Luke, you're dumb. We get it. But the uh, Luke kind of gets the creeps by uh, this perfectly maintained spaces kept up by maintenance droids who must have also cleaned up the 2,000 dead bodies left by the diseased, insane spacers who all died on it. Um, well, what would you rather have, Luke? Just a bunch of corpses everywhere? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the uh, the actual mechanics of the ship aren't doing as well as the interiors. The tech team reports that the sub-light speed engines are in need of a total overhaul, and it doesn't look much better for the hyperdrive. On the bridge, they examine the controls, and Luke notices an elaborate name plaque. Katana. His force hunch had led them to the flagship. Uh, but just as they take that in, another ship drops out of hyperspace at the fleet. It's Failure's mission. The escort frigate Quinfis and its accompanying X-Wings. Captain Virgilio of the Quenfis orders Captain Solo and his group to stand down as they are under arrest. Uh, so and if what's interesting is on, on the Quenfis, uh, not only is failure there, of course, but also Leia and Talon Card uh, are, are on the same ship with him. I guess they, they came along on the official mission. Um, Wedge breaks into uh, breaks into the comms to ask what authorization what this authorization is. So Phalia chimes in to say these orders are from Mon Mothma herself. Han breaks in then to tell Wedge, "Hey, you go ahead, stand down. You know you don't want to have a court martial on your head. This is all up to us." And then he hangs up. So uh, you better believe Phalia's fur flattened at that, Buster. Oh, that fur is so flat. You won't even. Yeah, believe it's it. like you know who. Who uh, issued the arrest order? Uh, freaking Robert Mueller. <laughs> you may have heard of him. Um, but but just as Phalia's sputtering uh, at Leia saying, you know, Han won't listen to anyone when he's like this, uh, alarms start to go off. There's another ship incoming. It's an Imperial Star Destroyer. The Justicator, whatever it is. Uh, just Justicar? Justicar. Uh, the, the dropping judicator. into judicator. Thank you. It took me a second, or it didn't take me a second. It took you correcting me. Uh, it's a better name another... than the Quenfis. That's true. <laughs> Quenfis is not, not even good. A, not even a word. Uh, that has to be a, a, a Tampa reference of some sort. Maybe that's you know, the name of the Quentin street. 
Fister's buddy or whatever. <laughs> Quentin Fister is the the manager at the Sizzler. Yeah, and a dear a dear friend of of Timothy Zahn's. Um, this Imperial Star Destroyer has has uh, dropped into real space and is bearing down on them. Wedge instantly breaks off from a course to the Quenfist and prepares to to send his X wings against all odds to try to buy everyone else time against that Star Destroyer. Now, Han orders Wedge to continue back to the Quenfus, but Wedge refuses. Like blazes, we will. Failia declares that they are going to beat Cheeks at once. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, to call in the, the X-Wings, get them in here, we are going to jump into hyperspace and run away. Um, to Captain Virgilio's surprise. Counselor, are you suggesting that we abandon them? And uh, this starts a big argument between Failia and Leia. As they are, Yulei, of course, does not want to abandon her husband and brother and friends to certain death at the hands of the Star Destroyer. Phalia, of course, wants to cut and run, live again to fight another day. Um, but in this moment, we cut over to Han, Lando, and Luke on board the Katana. A flight of troop-bearing dropships is headed for the Katana to uh, clear them out and take possession for the Empire. But Han has an idea. Taking advantage of its barely functional systems and the Imperials assuming that a derelict won't fire on them, Han lines up a devastating blast from the Dreadnought's turbolaser turrets, taking out half the dropships, but also frying the ancient and already fragile machinery that was uh, keeping the lasers going. So that's kind of that's one that's one trick they don't get to do again. But it sure as hell blew up a bunch of bad guys. So time for them to get ready to face the boarding party. And back aboard the Quenfis, Leia's still arguing. We can't just abandon them. But Phalia is done essing around. He has his blaster out, demanding to know how soon they can jump. Uh, Captain Virgilio, who's elsewhere on the on the ship, kind of radios back, another minute, perhaps two. And Leia tries to argue that Han and Luke know too much about the Republic to fall into interrogators' hands. But Card butts in to say, I'm afraid you're missing the Counselor's point, Leia, while kind of waggling his eyebrows as he conspicuously sets down a data pad in front of her with a text note that says, Turn on the intercom and the comm system. This is the biggest fucking bullshit, like, you know, <laughs> fucking third act of a movie, like, incriminate the guy by yep. catching it all on tape bullshit. But before oh, we get into that, I there's yeah. a moment I want to highlight where, where Leia is thinking, like, for a handful of heartbeats... She had the almost overwhelming urge to snatch her lightsaber from her belt and send it slicing through that bland face. That bland face being <laughs> Phalia. I just love that not only is Phalia annoying, he's got a bland face. He's just the worst of all possible worlds. He's literally the worst. He's he's just the worst. We, we I mean sure that see that's the that's the lesson of Dark Force Rising. We thought the Nogri were the worst. It's actually failure. <laughs> it's actually failure. Failure is um, the secret worst. So, uh, so, so Leia does. She actually uses her force powers to kind of flip the intercom switch, and then, and then she kind of goads failure by asking Card, you know, theatrically, what other priorities could Counselor Failure have? And Card then explains that this isn't actually the Quenfus's usual crew. Captain Virgilio of the Quenfis is a, is a staunch Phalia supporter, but that wasn't good enough for Phalia, so he stacked the crew, the officers and the, uh, you know, the, the NCOs, with solidly loyal, reliable uh, Phalia men from around the Navy for this particular jaunt. Card suggests this is why Phalia is so reticent to risk losing anyone in this battle. All of his supporters in the Navy military are here, on this ship, and he can't lose them to something so petty as loyalty to their comrades, can he? See, and see, folks, that's how Pete Buttigieg won Iowa. <laughs> I'm glad you've branched out into 2020 references. <laughs> I contain multitudes, Daniel. I just we're we're going to reach back to 1988 at uh, at some point. You're going to be talking about how uh, George Cabayoth is the 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 Jesse Jackson of something. Um, I I had it. I I actually have an Alexander Haig joke in here because uh, Philly is constantly telling everyone that he's in charge when really I'm thinking Mon Mothma, aka Ronald Reagan, is the real one in charge. Right, right. But Ronald Reagan, (laughs) like Mon Mothma, is very passive and 
letting herself be run roughshod by a goddamn Bothan. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so this all kind of plays out with Leia saying, uh, is that true, Counselor? All this talk about being on the side of the military was nothing more than a play for political power? In which Ophelia uh, says, don't be foolish, Counselor. What other use are soldiers to a politician? <laughs> this is exactly people. like when when uh, <laughs> when Barack Obama called the called them uh, corpsmen, <laughs> right? Or when John Kerry said, like, you know, if you don't uh, if you don't go to college, that's how you end up in Iraq. Uh huh. <laughs> Just shitting on the troops. Um. Uh, is that why you don't care if the men of Rogue Squadron die because they prefer to stay out of politics? Card asks. No one cares if their enemies die, Failure said coldly, and all those who are not on my side are my enemies. I trust Captain Card that I need not say more. No, Counselor. I believe you've said enough. With like a little wink to the reader. And, then, the old... and, then, and then Card, uh, Card turns off the uh, talk boy. And yes. uh, everyone <laughs> realizes what happened. <laughs> That's a real, uh, that ought to hold the little SOBs moment. It's the, that, that old routine. Homo the, bullshit. Uh, the Quinfus X-Wing squadrons start to peel away to go to Rogue Squadron's aid. And the door to the bridge opens up to reveal Captain Virgilio and two soldiers. You see, Counselor, some of us don't consider loyalty to be all that outmoded. Ha <laughs> So much for Borskphalia. Oh, he's this really is exactly what the resistance lives always imagined like the military would do to Trump. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's definitely never happening. Go to your um, room, Mango. <laughs> but we we cut now to the Chimera, where uh, reports of the action at the Katana coordinates are coming in. Thrawn is preparing to go there straight away to back up the Judicator immediately when an unidentified Lancer class frigate drops out of light speed and hails the Chimera. It's Master Kabaoth, having used his force powers not only to control the crew of that ship to bring him to Thrawn, but also to render the navigation officer on the Chimera motionless. So they aren't going anywhere. Uh, they determine man, it will take after, at least... Man, after like 10 pages of failure just dithering, getting, getting back to Thrawn and, and Joris is like a cold glass of water. <laughs> it's a beautiful, refreshing moment. Um, Master Kabaoth insists on being brought on board to talk to Thrawn personally, uh, and it will take at least 15 minutes for, uh, for that to happen. So Thrawn is, is deeply frustrated, as those 15 minutes could make or break the action at the Katana fleet. But he accedes and orders the Star Destroyer peremptory to go to assist the Judicator in the Chimera's stead. They'll catch up whenever they can. Then Thrawn admits that maybe it's time we reconsider our arrangement with Master Kabaoth. And this old man is uh, being too annoying. <laughs> right. And that concludes chapter 27. And, uh, yeah. I mean, so really, now... if you think about it, all Joris has been doing is, like, uh, asking weird rhetorical questions to Luke Skywalker and making him participate in, like, small claims court. Yes. <laughs> he's not He's not really proven all that. Well, he has been doing the, he does the battle meditation Buffing the forty percent. Yeah, but buff. when is when is he? When was the last time he did that? Uh it's true. It's 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 been a minute. It's been a while. So yeah, I think it probably is time to reconsider. You know what what you're doing with a little master Kabeoff. Time now. to send fact, him to I'm a not, home. I'm not sure how he fits into the plans anymore. Honestly, uh, I, I think we're gonna find out that like uh, Timothy Zahn was dealing with like a real real ornery great uncle. And he, and he <laughs> at the time, and like George Kabaz is his take that at him. Right, right. His, uh, his, you know, uh, right. There's some. Well, sort, give some me sort those like silver a... nickels, huh, you bastard? <laughs> there's some sort of uh, intense dispute over some sort of inheritance from from uh, Zon's great grandfather or something. And, exactly. Uh, it led to all this. Yeah. I would writing, is, writing is always personal, so we have to. That's right. We have to assume that uh, this comes from a place in in Zahn's life. Yeah, we we here at Thronderdome are staunch proponents of the life of the author, not the death of the author. The only way you can ever make sense of a text is by knowing what the author was trying to do and say and living 
at the time, which is why, of course, his author notes are so uh, essential to our analysis here. Um, speaking of our analysis, that, that does conclude today's, uh, today's chapters, today's recaps. Lots of exciting stuff happened. I want to know how the book ends, which, which I would not have said, like, a couple episodes ago <laughs> even even a couple episodes ago we just did not care as we were in the deep in the depths of no i mean a, a couple episodes ago i wanted the book to end but i didn't like care how it ended well aren't you glad you powered through aren't yeah you glad i'm glad i you... got through all the that nogri bullshit to uh <laughs> to uh han solo uh, setting a wraith on fire in the in the casino sub yeah, there's a casino sub where there's a wraith on fire, and alcohol fires aren't that hot, so it's not that big a deal. Um, Wedge Antilles got bullied around, and uh, and then Borsk Failure uh, got his show canceled after he said that I'll hold a little SOBs on air. So you know, I, I feel like pretty if good you chapters. Cut, like if if you cut like seventy five pages out of this book, you'd have a much better book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've said before that like the Nogri plot arc could have been handled in two chapters and if that you know like it's it's we'll 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 save this actually we're gonna save this for next episode Ronnie, because next episode the recap is gonna be a little shorter because it's just two chapters left which means we'll have a little more time to kind of give our final thoughts yeah. on the second installment <clears throat> what we would have done differently what we admired what didn't work and uh what we're looking forward to with the last command which will be season three of Thronderdome. Uh, after but, we have our season but, break and bonuses. But before we move on, I just want to reiterate my theory that th- that Zahn does like write solely sequentially. So like when when he's like on chapter like sixteen and it's like, oh shit, I haven't done anything with George Kabayoth in like eight chapters. And it it's not like okay, I'll go back and like beef up his uh, his presence a bit. It's like. Well, I better, like, do something with him now. And, like, the Nogri stuff is like, well, I've wasted enough time, so I might as well just, uh, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a less Zonian writer would maybe go back and revise things, but, but, uh, but Zon does not. A bit, a bit of, a bit of, you know, a lesser artist would would not trust his own vision as he's writing. Zahn, though, knows that the, once you enter the flow state, once you enter the Zahn... The Zahn? <laughs> the Zen state of pure action without state. thought. The Zahn state? That's Zahn the, and that's the, art the episode of, titled The Zahn State. I'm calling it. Enter, enter the Zahn state, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll see where Zahn's, uh, where, where Zahn's muse takes him to conclude the book. Uh, but until then, buddy, if you're still looking for some rootin' tootin' action, if you're looking for, for two-fisted tales of swashbuckling and, uh, and, 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 and great personalities clashing over, over matters of galactic import, then, buddy, do we have the segment for you? Because not only is Thronderdome the world's preeminent Star Wars novels recap podcast, it is also the world's preeminent... Uh, showcase of mental prowess and 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 intellectual acuity as Ronnie and I pit our minds against each other in the noble arena of debate. And that's right. It is time for the Into the Thronderdome segment. And Ronnie, what are we arguing about this time? Well, and this is colored heavily by the fact that I saw the uh, the movie Transformers Rise of the Beast today. Uh, shout out to my other podcast, Deliver the Profile. Uh, we're doing an episode about that uh, awful movie. But you and I are going to be debating uh, toy lines for, for children and children at heart, Transformers versus G.I. Joe. <laughs> I, I like that we're um, we're keeping with our kind of like late 80s popular culture uh, theme the last two <laughs> debates because the last one was Freddy versus Jason and now we're doing Transformers versus uh, hey 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 uh, oh here's a 1988 joke for you hey, uh, what's next Reagan versus Dukakis uh, Bush huh? versus Dukakis Bush you versus Dukakis oh right I fucked it up all right, Reagan all, right, was, all, right, all right Reagan was term limited you <clears throat> moron 
okay, well, this can't count against me in the debate points. Uh, anyway, speaking of Ronald Reagan, um, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, I'm taking G.I. Joe. I'm taking G.I. Joe. Okay. All right. Well, I have an easy argument then. Uh, well, please, go ahead. Okay, Transformers. They're robots that turn into things like cars, jets, monkeys, uh, boom boxes, tapes, uh, ball bearings, and there are uh, limitless possibilities of play because you basically have two toys in one. Uh, you have a you have a car and you have a, a robot man. And uh, I think that uh, in this day and age, when uh, revanchist re- reactionaries are uh, are on the war path against uh, trans people. I think uh, it's important to uh, to highlight uh, Transformers because they are a valid uh, form of trans representation. <laughs> well, that's uh, powerful, sure. Um, but here's 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 what I would uh, here's how I will counter. Uh, GI Joe is the superior uh, intellectual property and toy line. Because it inculcates our children with important values, such as militarism, uh, specifically American militarism, uh, imperial dominance, military hegemony. These are but a few of the essential, really, beliefs and, and just values to hold in your heart as an American that we really need to take the time to teach children. And what better I, way? I, I just want to point out that there are some... Uh more recent incarnations of G.I. Joe that have uh, made it a U.N. uh, formed uh, strike force. And let me tell you, uh, longtime G.I. Joe fans were not happy about it. (laughs) Well, of course not, because for one thing, imagine a longtime G.I. Joe fan. And, uh, well, I mean, I know I'm arguing for its superiority here, but woof. That just feels hard. To deal the, with the worst people um, alive. <laughs> Why, yes. But, but going back, since we're talking about the '80s toy line kind of incarnation of this intellectual property, I, I think I think it's still fair for me to base my argument in rock ribbed conservative values. No, I, I mean, so sure. I just, I, that was just a, a fun trivia item I, I wanted to share. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah, so even though, of course, uh, the G.I. Joe guys are not shown explicitly combating America's various geopolitical rivals or uh, challengers or, or it's sort of uh, the, the, the black sheep of the international community that uh, we get to pick on with impunity, um, they're, they're, you know, they're typically you know, they're going after COBRA, which is a kind of shadowy non-governmental organization, but clearly full of foreigners. You know, you got a silver face. You got a, a a hot lady who's a baroness, so that's not from America because we don't have those. You got uh, Zamox. Oh, also, Cobra Commander is clearly coded as gay. <laughs> He's a very swishy, a flamboyant, villain. screechy guy in a in a purple hood. In a yeah, in a in a in a in a, in a fancy outfit. Uh, all of which are your enemies, yours and mine. These are all our enemies. And uh, I'm just glad that there's a, a toy line out there with the guts to stand up to the to the woke establishment and uh, and and tell everybody that no, it is okay and in fact good that uh, you know many 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 poor people around the world have to suffer and have their lives destroyed in order to make sure that you know a bunch of skull and bones members' portfolios remain profitable. You know when when, when did that become controversial? When did that become bad? You know, G.I. Joe forever. That's what I say. I I have a counter-argument in that, um, and this especially uh, uh, relates to uh, the, the terrible movie I saw this afternoon, because uh, at the end of it, it teases uh, that Transformers and G.I. Joe are in the same cinematic universe, and they'll be crossing over. I gotta say, if you put in one hand a bunch of transforming robots... And in the other hand, you put a bunch of 
military guys with names like Dial Tone and Heavy Duty <laughs> and, and Ripcord and shit. Any child worth their salt is going to pick the Transforming Robots. Mm, mm-hmm. What if what it, if I told you that you know you can get a little bit of you can get a little bit of the robot shine uh, from your GI Joe because they have uh, you know they ha- they have like cool vehicles with missiles and stuff that's kind of like a robot. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually add a, a new wrinkle to the to the Thronderdome debate segment and I'm gonna introduce a little sub thing called Devil's Advocate where each of us says <laughs> has like a offers like an argument uh for the thing we're uh arguing against and i'm going okay, to say sure. and in the inaugural one i'm going to say remember remember like those uh early internet gi joe uh psas oh i do yes those, those are, are fucking golden. hilarious those are great and those yeah. are better than anything the transformers has ever produced so that's my devil's advocate. <laughs> and I, my devil's advocate point will be that uh, Transformers does deserve credit for introducing children to the reality of ancient aliens that Earth has been visited by extraterrestrial visitors uh, millions of years ago uh, and that that explains all of ancient history. This isn't part of my argument, but isn't it hilarious that in the 80s they actually thought it would be a good idea to market a... A transformer that turned into a realistic gun, <laughs> and children I would mean, buy it and play with it, and it wouldn't even be like this was before they like uh, made sure that like there had to be an orange cap on toy guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was also a day and age when you could go to the store and buy a cap gun. You get a realistic looking gun and little gunpowder charges, so it would be like a little firecracker as you pulled the trigger. And I, I think that's so funny. Like, if you had that today, of course, every one of those children will be murdered by cops. <laughs> so <laughs> with that with that cheery note, uh, we will, of course, leave it up to the listeners to also, decide. Also, uh, yeah, I won. And also, Ronnie won. Uh, whatever. We let Ronnie win around <laughs> here because he's the baby. He's the baby Gotta of, love the, me. of the show. Gotta love him. But with that, we'll, we'll wrap up for this time. And tune in next time for the undoubtedly exciting conclusion of dark force rising. I don't see how it couldn't be exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm eager to see how, how this all, all the, how this all wraps undoubtedly to our, to our unending satisfaction, but tune in next time as we discover together uh, and also give our final kind of concluding thoughts on dark force well, rising. Considering by the first Zahn. book ended with Admiral Akbar getting arrested. I, I shudder to wonder which new Republic political figure will be under arrest at the end of this second book <laughs> i perhaps, do wonder who perhaps who mon mothra be? or failure mm-hmm. or that's literally the only political figures we know of i'm just looking for the winter reveal it's gotta happen sometime yeah who the fuck is delta source anyway I'm saying it's. I'm putting my money down on winter but i i've been wrong before i was very wrong about senator bell bernie iblis so we'll, we'll see. But on that note, a, a good night, all. We'll catch you next time on Thronderdome. Smell you later. <laughs>